Hello to everyone outside. We've got some people outside this morning. Um, and we've got a microphone going rogue this morning. All right. So I don't get to wear glasses and have this microphone thing. So who knows what I'm going to say at this point, okay? The, the notes are not important. Um, so we've got some people outside. Good morning, everybody outside. We've got some people who are streaming online. And I'd like to say good morning to my daughter, Kendalyn, who's watching this morning online, and to the hundreds who are gathered here in the building this morning. Good morning, good morning. My name is Kurt. I'm the youth pastor here at Mariner's Church. I work with middle school and high school students, and I love my job. Uh, the last few weeks, my family and I have been on vacation, and we had a great time taking a plane you see there in the upper corner, uh, we got uh, my daughter Willa, who is 10 months old, on a plane for the very first time. And then we connected with my daughter Kendalyn, who's in Wisconsin. We got on a ferry boat. You see the ferry boat in the back? We went from Wisconsin to Michigan and back on a ferry boat. And then here's the cutest video you're going to see all day long. This is outside of an Amtrak train. Here's little Willa pushing along her cart and uh, just being the cutest thing you're ever going to see. And there's my toe. There it is. Yeah, there it is. So, so that was our family vacation. Now, I know that, um, that you have been tortured by looking at pictures of Paul the last few weeks from the 1960s as we talk about the summer of love. And I just want you to know that I'm not going to do that to you this morning because <laughs> I wasn't born in the 60s. There are no pictures of me from the 1960s. I am a 70s kid. Too bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I missed a great time, Jim says. Thanks, Jim. So our focus has been in the summer of love, this verse. This is love, is what it says. Not that we have loved God, but. What do we do with the word but? We circle the word but, right? Circle your buts in the Bible because they mean something. It's a transition. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And in showing his love for us, he sent his son to be an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us, dear friends, since God loved us and showed his love for us, we ought to love one another. Real love comes from God. God showed his love for us through sacrifice. So our right response to God's love is to love each other, to show love and to live love in practical, real-world ways. Often, and I would probably tell you daily, I tell Becky that I love her. I think it's the greatest way to start and end each day. I love you. But sometimes my wife asks me the most awkward question. Do you know what the awkward question is? Why? Why? Why do I love you? Now see, ladies, this is something that men never do to each other. You'll never see two guys sitting on bar stools, having a moment, and one guy says to the other, dude, bro, I love you, bro. And the other guy looks at him and says, bro, why? That'll never happen. That'd be a never, the other guy, just, you just know, you just kick in. Bro, I love you too. That's what you do. Wives, why do you ask the question, why? Why do I love my wife? I don't know. Because uh, you make good scrambled eggs on Saturday mornings? 
um, because you're pretty? <laughs> None of those work, do they? Those are not good answers. So don't ask the question because I can't give you an answer that's going to be good. Why do I love you? Well, according to the Bible, I have the perfect answer right there because God tells me to. <laughs> so tomorrow morning when I say to my wife, Becky, I love you. And she says in that cute, tender voice, why? Because God told me to. I think it works. I think it's a perfect answer. I'll probably be coming to live with some of you soon, but I think it works. Thank you, Jesus, for the answer to that question. Before we go on, we better pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for meeting with us this morning. It is your breath in our lungs. It is because of you that we pray. So now, God, open our minds that we can understand your word and open our hearts that we would live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. John Perkins grew up in Mississippi in the 1930s. When he was four years old, he went to work full-time, long days, picking cotton in the fields. His family were sharecroppers, which meant that they, they lived on a large plantation and that required them to give half of their profits to the landowner and they were required to buy all of their supplies for the farm from the landowner at an a, a, a inflated rate. No matter how hard John's family worked, they were always going to be in debt to the landowner. One day when John was walking to school, his cousin pulled him out of, out of the road as a school bus went barreling by. One of the white children inside of the school bus yelled out from the window, Get out of the road! Blankety blank. John could never understand why the black kids walked to school and the white kids rode the bus. He could never understand why he was hated so much for the color of his skin. When World War II broke out, John's older brother went into the army and he fought the war in Germany. While serving, he was wounded and earned a Purple Heart Medal and returned home. Instead of a hero's welcome, he was shot by a sheriff who didn't like black people, and he died. And John, as a young man, burned with anger. Wanting the best for John, his family sent him to California, where he found a job, and he worked alongside, other white, alongside white people, and he was treated as an equal. When the time was right, John joined the army. He married his wife, Vera, and after his service, he found a good job. With a sharp mind and a good work ethic, he advanced quickly in his work. He made a good living and he bought a home. But something was missing. John felt empty inside. One day he was invited to a church where he heard the message of Jesus Christ and he personally found peace and joy and gave his life to God. And he began reading and studying the Bible and applying its words to his life. Not long after that, John and Vera began leading children in their neighborhood to know Jesus too. John knew that God was calling him to do something different in his life. He was calling John to go back to Mississippi and be an agent of change. So he took his family back and he chopped wood and he worked in the cotton fields once again and he shared the love of Jesus with everyone around him. 
One day John heard that a group of black men were arrested and he went down to the courthouse to check in on them where he was arrested himself and the sheriff badly beat him and threw him in jail. In jail, John prayed that God would fill his heart with love for those who injured him and arrested him. The beating and the stress caused John to have a heart attack. He developed ulcers and ultimately he needed surgery to remove two-thirds of his stomach. But John refused to hate. Rather, he continued to tell people about the healing power of God's love. And I read a story like this and I ask the question, how do you do that? How, how does someone live like this? Through disadvantage, through pain, through loss, through despair. How can someone say God's love heals. This is what the Bible says. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But, circle that but, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Those are the words of Jesus. Somewhere along the line, as John was reading and studying and he decided to live out the Bible, he heard these words from Jesus and he made a decision, I'm going to live that way. I'm going to love the people who are against me. The Bible teaches that when I decide to follow Jesus, I'm to be done with certain things. And I'm, God wants me to put other things in the place of those things I'm to be done with. Can you think about things that God wants me to be done with? Can you imagine the things that God wants you to be done with when you come to faith and you decide to, to live out your faith? The love of God comes in your life and transforms your life. Can you imagine the thing that God wants you to get rid of? He wants you to get rid of immorality. He wants you to get rid of impure thoughts. He wants you to get rid of evil desire and anger and wrath and malice and slander. And He wants you to, to have un obscene talk be out of your vocabulary. He wants you to stop lying. Why? Because the love of God comes inside of me and it reorders my life. It changes who I am. It changes my thinking. It should change my words that go out. It should change the stuff that goes in. And these are the things that God wants me to put in their place. He wants me to put compassion and kindness and meekness and humility and patience and bear with each other, which is, which is a word called long-suffering. He wants me to, to put on forgiveness. The Bible teaches that, that these are the things that we put on, just like I put on my clothes this morning. These are the things that I should dress myself with. I should be known for these things. These are not only the things that people should see, but these are the things that people should experience from me. It even stresses in the verse that I'm supposed to put these things on one time and they should stick. 
I'm never supposed to take them off. I'm supposed to have a firm determination to practice and live these things. Another way of putting it is I should have a fierce commitment to live out these things. (laughs) Have you ever heard compassionate people being fierce? Man, you are fierce in your kindness. Man, you are fierce in patience. These are the things that God wants his people to be known for. Why? Here's why. As God's chosen ones, you are holy and beloved. Why? Because people will see me as God's man, see you as God's person. When God's love reorders my life, I am completely different. I I can't be the same. He has shared His love with me, and that has made all the difference in my life. My identity changes. I'm no longer separated from God through sin. I am united with God in His holiness. His holiness sets me apart from who I used to be, and now I am useful for God in His service. I'm holy, believe it or not. And God has fixed His love on me. That'll never change. God's love is fixed on me. It's more solid than poured cement. Nothing can change how God thinks or feels about me. And because I am holy, and because God's love is fixed on me, He gives me the freedom and the ability to be fiercely compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, long-suffering, and forgiving. This is what John Perkins lived out. His whole life experience could have fueled anger, wrath, and revenge, but the love of God made him fiercely patient and forgiving. Fiercely patient and forgiving. Now, I'll be patient as long as you hurry. I'll be compassionate as long as your problems get figured out quick. And that's why God put one more piece of clothing at the end of the list. Above all these things, put on the love which binds them all together in perfect harmony. Now I want to admit to you, I added a word, that's why it's in parentheses. I added a word to this verse. I I put the word the there because I want us to be always mindful of the source of love and where it comes from. It's not my love which can be tainted by my desires and my thoughts and my feelings. The love that we put on is God's love. Remember, we know what true love is because God loved us. The love we put on is not emotional or romantic or sentimental. It's not an empty-headed husband starting the morning and ending the day by saying I love you with no real reason why. It's 
a love that is sacrificial. It's a love that forgives and restores. It's the love of God that I put on over everything. And I find it very interesting that at the end of a list of virtues like kindness and patience and forgiveness, the Bible tells us, oh yeah, by the way, make sure it's loving. Can we have compassion without love? Sure. We've all donated to causes that we didn't really care about, but we were compassionate. Can we be humble without love? Sure. For a minute. Can we suffer with someone without love? Sure. We can do that for a moment. That's why God tells us to cover everything that we do with the love that comes from God. Love ties all these virtues together. And, and get this, love, the love of God forces our motives to be pure. <laughs> forces our motives to be pure. So that I can have a firm commitment to living these out. So that I can be fiercely compassionate with the love of God. Because I need the Bible to teach me how to do this. I'm, and I pray, God, please teach me how I'm supposed to live. Because the stuff that I'm supposed to put on seems to fall off sometimes. Or I try to put on the shirt of compassion and the buttons don't quite go. And, and, and I'm going to hurt somebody with my compassion because the shirt doesn't fit. And I'm going to ping, I'm going to ping you because it doesn't quite fit. And the buttons are going to burst off because, God, I need your love to cover all this stuff. Not long ago, uh, I lost 100 pounds. I was a big, big boy, and now I'm just a big boy. And, and I was walking through the grocery store and I was wearing a pair of pants that I wore when I was a big, big boy and I didn't have a belt on and I thought, okay, I'm, I'm good now. I'm, I got enough quick response. I could just kind of hike up these pants. Well, the problem was that my, my wife asked me to get two gallons of milk. So I went to the thing and I got the gallons of milk and I'm walking along and before I could realize it, the gallons of milk were in my hands and the pants started to go. And so here I'm walking and I'm thinking, oh no, how am I going to keep, and then there they went. And I'm standing in the grocery store, two gallons of milk and my pants down on my ankles and my boxers down, and I just thought, nuts, this is not good. And sometimes that happens with my virtues. My virtues fall off. I want to be kind. But it slipped. I want to be loving. I want to be caring. But my caringness, is that a word? Caringness? My caringness slipped off. So I need God's love to surround these things in my life because as much as I'm supposed to put them on once, sometimes they slip off. And I need to be reminded through God's word to put them back in place. I need to learn to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart. 
I need God's word to come into my life and take root in my life. And, and having the peace of Christ rule in my heart is like having a professional baseball umpire that follows me around all the time. And anytime I say something or I do something, the peace of Christ comes into my life and he says, hey, that was a good job. You're safe. Or when I mess up and my virtue slips, I need the professional baseball umpire of God's word to come in my life and say, out! Try again. Allowing God's word to come in and take root in my life doesn't cause me regret or cringe and be like, oh, I hate God's word in my life. I hate his peace in my life. No, I'm to be thankful for God's peace in my life because it guides me and it draws me daily to be like him. And in being thankful for God's peace in my life, it encourages me to pursue living these virtues fiercely as God desires. And I want to learn to let the word of Christ dwell richly in me. Not only does it take root inside of me, but it lives inside of me. And I need to give it ample room in my life to, room, to, to move around. I need to let these, these values and these virtues of God be a rich treasure in my life. So I need to reorganize and I need to remove the things from my life so that God's word doesn't just take root in my life, but that it moves and breathes and lives inside of me. And I need to submit to the, the, the teaching and the commands of God's word. I need to allow God's word to teach me and correct me. One of our high school guys at camp decided to follow Jesus. And as soon as he decided to pray for God's forgiveness, he opened his eyes and he looked at me and he said, now what? <laughs> I love it. Direct. Now what are we doing now? What's next? And I just simply told him, read God's word and do what it says. I love how simple our faith is. I need God's Word to take root in my life by reading it and living it every day. One of the best ways I know how to let God's Word live in me is to study it with other people. At Mariners, we have groups for adults, for teenagers, for children, that together we study and live out God's Word. If you haven't been a part of a small group ever or in a while, join one. This is the way that you, you can learn in fellowship, in community, how to put God's Word in your life and how to live it out daily. I also, in living out God's Word and letting it live in me, I need to let God's Word be my songbook. I need to let the, the verses of Scripture be the lyrics of my life, the songs that I sing, the way that I express my emotion by, by, by singing God's Word. I need to let my praise be filled with the words of Scripture. I invite our worship leaders to come up now. Wrapping up this whole idea. Scripture tells me that whatever I do, 
whether I'm speaking or I'm working, I need to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. That is the most weighty thing in this whole message, is to tag Jesus' name onto everything that I do. Can I do that? Can you do that? Every word that I speak, every action that I do, can I put Jesus' name on that? Before acting, I should ask, would Jesus do it this way? Before I press send, I should ask, would Jesus write it this way? Before I post something, I should ask, would Jesus post it this way? At camp this summer, one of the speakers encouraged the boys and girls to invite Jesus with you everywhere you go. And it wasn't just a cognitive thing, it was a literal thing. Like, when you get out of bed in the morning, say, come on Jesus, we're going to go get breakfast. And after breakfast, you say, come on Jesus, we're going to brush our teeth. After brushing your teeth, say, come on Jesus, we're going to get ready for school. Come on Jesus, it's time to get in the car. Come on Jesus, it's time to go to math class. And to, to, to actually say the words, Jesus, I invite you to go with me throughout my whole day. Can you imagine that? Not long after the speaker challenged the students to do that, there were a group of guys who came down a staircase from an outdoor dining area. They came down the staircase, and I was standing there as the group of guys says, Dudes, we forgot Jesus. And so the whole cabin went back up the stairs to the dining area to invite Jesus. Come on, we're going to go. It was so funny to see a group of junior high boys say, we forgot Jesus. I do that all the time. I just don't always go back up the stairs to invite him back. The aim of a life fixed on God is to become, is to avoid being come ensnared by the world's traps and entanglements. We would be on the wrong trap if we think we can or should cut ourselves free from practical living. This is where we live. And our faith needs to be here with us. The Bible addresses how we are to live every day at home, at work, at school, in our community, our daily practical lives. Our allegiance to Jesus, our connection to God, the love of God should monitor all of our earthly concerns and make sure that we do not lose our spiritual balance. Friends, this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, thank you for these incredible 